Hey, welcome to River Ridge. Uh, I'm Matt. So glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, I want to take you back about 35 years in my life. And I had um, an experience that completely changed the direction of my life. That I heard the message for the first time that the God of the universe loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. And that year, when I was between my sophomore and junior year of high school at a camp in Colorado, I received Christ as my Savior, and it was life-changing. But then within about a week or two after that, I made a decision that I think had kind of a secondary impact on that decision I made to follow Christ. And what that decision was is that I began to go to a small group. And so every Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock, we would gather at Stacy Buckholt's house, and there would be about... 10 of us, 15, sometimes as many as 20 people. And we would gather and we'd just talk about life and talk about what we were learning in the Bible. But mostly we would talk about how do we grow in our love for God and how do we love our friends around us. And there was a, a girl in that, uh, in that group, in that first small group that I was involved with, uh, named Laura Cronenberg. Uh, and then another guy joined uh, maybe a year or so later. Uh, his name was James Granger. And those two actually got married and then Kind of another friend, Carissa, came and be, were, was a part of us, and then eventually my wife, um, we met and so forth. But this group has been a huge part of my life for years and years and years, for 35 years, and it was born out of this first small group that I was a part of. And we've had the birth of lots of kids. We've had different ones facing cancer. We've had the loss of a child. We've celebrated together. We've cried together. We've vacationed together. But it all started with this small group where we said, let's stand shoulder to shoulder. Let's sit together and figure out how do we love God and love the people around us. And that was 35 years ago. And I have been in different small groups, not that same one, obviously. But I've been in a small group continuously for the last 35 years of my life. And that's a huge part of where God or how God brought me from where I was to who I am today. And so I want to encourage you as we're talking about getting involved in a small group to take that step, to take that risk if it's a risk for you, and sign up for a small group. We've got all kinds of ridge groups that meet all different times, all different places. You can sign up on your app on the online, or if you want to ask some questions, go talk to Bruce in the lobby, and we'll do our best to place you in a group that will help you to grow spiritually, but also where you can pour yourself into other people as well. So I want to encourage you to do that because it really, it's a great part of making the big church small and personal. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, thank you for the worship. That was just um, awesome to enter into your presence, um, to hear from you in that way. And I thank you just for that moment, that time that, that I got to be with you in that worship. Um, and God, as we look into your word today, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would help us to see what it means to be good neighbors and who you want us to neighbor towards and with. Um, and God, I pray that you would speak this morning into our lives and our hearts and our actions. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are wrapping up a series. It's been a three-week series titled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And over the course of this series, we've basically been asking this question. We said, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we said, what would happen if we took the second half of that and took it literally and actually loved our physical, actual geographic neighbors? Whether you live in a dorm or an apartment or whether you live in a regular neighborhood or a house, what would it look like to do that. 
And so we define neighboring this way. It's the art of carrying out Jesus's greatest commandment. It's the art of carrying out Jesus's greatest commandment. And we talked about what this means. It's not just kind of having a heart for somebody or just kind of a heart feeling, but it's actions. It's loving people in practical ways. And so we talked about if we're going to neighbor well, it's going to mean committing time to it. It's going to mean readjusting our schedule to that. It's going to mean being intentional about being with people and loving people where they are and their hurts and their needs and their life situation. But it's also going to mean being willing to be interrupted when things and people come along that we take time out of what we had planned and give time to people and to love them. And the reason we're in this series is because census data shows that there are 130,000 people in our community who are disconnected from God, who don't know that God is for them. We even sang about that. If God is for us, what can be against us? And there are thousands of people in our community that don't know that truth. And so we want to take that truth to them by the way that we neighbor, by the way that we love. So the question, though, that we're going to address today is we're in this process. We've been talking about this over the last few weeks. We get to know their names. We get to know their interests. We get to know their hearts. We're on this process. But how do we cross that line and go from just life conversations to spiritual conversations? How do, we, how do we make that transition so we're talking about Jesus, so we're talking about spiritual things? And I know that as you desire to do that, sometimes it can be hard, sometimes it can be a little bit awkward, and we, we know that we want to have these conversations with people, but yet, how do we get that there without it being all weird and wacky? My dad, a few years ago, um, getting to know this guy, or this guy was getting to know my dad, I guess, a little bit. And so my dad it was a lawyer uh, for his whole career, but he was sort of a weekend farmer. So he bought some land outside of Cincinnati, about 30 miles outside of Cincinnati, and he'd go out there with the bush hog and plant some seeds and pet the cows and stuff like that. And he, he kind of pretended to be a lawyer on the week, or uh, he was a good lawyer. He pretended to be a farmer on the weekends, <laughs> right? Um, he was a little weekend farmer. And there was a, a guy out there that, that he got to know. Um, and this guy was like a real farmer, right? But they didn't know each other all that well. Um, but one day, the, the, they basically, all they had in common is they knew each other's names, and they were you know, both kind of farmers, one a real farmer, one a, a weekend farmer. Uh, but this guy pulls my dad aside, and he goes, hey, Harry, can I ask you a question, personal question? And my dad goes, I'm sure. And he goes, Harry, if you died tonight, would you go to hell or heaven? And my dad was completely taken aback by this question. And it was not a conversation starter. It was a conversation ender. And it was incredibly awkward for both of them because he just tried to force something that wasn't there, this other guy. And he, he was well-meaning, but he was trying to force something that wasn't there. And, and I share that story with you because as we love people well, we know that we want to have spiritual conversations, even if that brings a little bit of fear to us. But we go, how do we get there? We've built these relationships. We've built these friendships. We're working on building these friendships and relationships. But how do we get to this point where we can talk about Christ? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 2 that I think is going to help us and encourage us and point us towards some things that will help us to have these spiritual conversations. So if you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible uh, at all, you're welcome to grab one at the Welcome Center in the lobby. Um, and then this will also be on the River Ridge app. You can open the Bible there, or it'll be on the screen behind me. 
So it says this. It says, and when he returns, this is Jesus, it says, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And so Capernaum is this place in Galilee, and it's basically kind of the base of Jesus' ministry in this region of the country. And so he's there. Capernaum's just a little small podunk town. He goes there. People are like, hey, Jesus is here. Jesus is back again. So it says this in verse 2. It says, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And so you can kind of picture what's going on. Jesus has this celebrity status. He comes back. He's preaching in this house. And people are hearing about it. And there's so many people, it says, that there was not even room at the door. Like the house was entirely filled. And then you can kind of picture it out the door. There are three and four and five deep. You can't even see where Jesus is because there's so many people who are crowding around. And then it says this. It says, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd. Now, it says here that there are five guys. One of them is paralyzed. Now, there's not a whole lot of detail in this. You wonder, well, was he just paralyzed? Did he have some kind of accident and now he's paralyzed? Was this something that happened when he was a child? Was he paralyzed from birth? We're not given that detail, but what we are given is the detail that he had four friends that loved him, and four friends that cared very much for him. And so they brought him to Jesus. But the problem was, it says that they couldn't get near him because there was this huge crowd there. They couldn't even get close to the door to squeeze their way into the house to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And so they come up with this idea. It says, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening... They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, as you think about that, as you think about what's going on here, you know, and maybe you've heard this story, and you can kind of picture yourself there. You're the owner of the house. You're in the crowd, and there's Jesus, and, and, our, and the hole opens up on top of him. And, and the roof at that time would have been made of kind of a thatch and mud, and so they probably would have had a little shovel or a, a stick, and they, they dug it out, and they make this opening bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, and if you're in the crowd... You're kind of watching this going, man, this is kind of weird. This is kind of crazy. And if you're the owner of the house, you're going, this is not good. This is not good. There's a hole in my roof. I did not ask for a sunroof, right? You can kind of picture it from that perspective. Um, but I actually picture it from a different perspective because I have maybe a, a unique perspective. Is I picture this from Jesus' perspective because he's there giving a sermon, right? And I have given hundreds and hundreds of sermons, and I have been distracted dozens and dozens and dozens of times, sometimes by you all in this room, right? And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, there's, uh, I mean, there's been all kinds of distractions. There's been people who have had sneezing fits and coughing fits, and they're like, ah, you know, and they, they have to leave them like, okay, I'll drink water while you, you know, situate your stuff. There's been some times where I have brought my cell phone up here, maybe for an illustration, or I set it on my stand up here, um, and I'll get a text message from one of you all who's messing with me, right? <laughs> or one time I'm talking, I'm going to use the, the phone as an illustration, and my son Will sends me a text, hey, Dad, where are we going to lunch? I'm like, come on now. <laughs> you know, there was a time on Easter 
uh, the second service, the electricity went out in the whole building halfway through the sermon a number of years ago. And I had invited a friend who was there, probably the first or second time at River Ridge. And afterwards, he was on my tennis team. He goes, Coach, man, that was a great shtick the way you had the electricity turn off. I'm like, that was not on purpose. It turned off. Like, thanks you think that I would be that smart to think ahead. Uh, you know, and then there's babies that cry, you know, and, and, you know, people ask me, like, does that bother you? And I'm like, crying babies don't bother me because my wife cries all the time. Like, I'm, I'm used to that. That's not a big deal. Now, when, like, the baby cries for, you know, a long time, I'm like, get out of here. But that's a different story. So I think about this. I'm like, okay, so I'm Jesus. I'm not Jesus, but I'm, I'm Jesus. And I'm looking at the stuff coming down. And what does Jesus do? I mean, does he just keep going on? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the, you know, the peacemakers. Let me tell you a story. Or does he just stop and go, how is this thing going to unfold? You know, or is he planning what he's going to do? But I just think that that's fascinating to think about that. So then it continues on. They open up the roof, pretty big hole because they've got to lower their friend down. Then verse 5 says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, remember, this is a small town. Everybody knows who this guy is. Everybody knows that he's paralyzed. But yet Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Think about the friends, their reaction. They dug a hole in this guy's roof and lowered him down. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And they're going, he's paralyzed. That's the problem. And then I think about this same little thing from the paralytic's perspective. I mean, maybe he was a willing participant in this. Maybe he wasn't, you know, but he goes through all this and he gets lowered down. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He's like, this is really embarrassing being lowered down through this roof. And that's the response that Jesus gives me. It's like they look at him and they're like, you kind of misdiagnose the problem, Jesus. But you see, here's the thing. I think that sometimes we have that same misperception that they had at the time. Because they all looked at him and said his biggest problem is that he has paralysis. He's paralyzed. But Jesus looked at him and says, no, no, no. His biggest problem is that he needs his sins forgiven. And sometimes we come to God and we say, God, this is my biggest need. I'm not happy all the time. I want to be happy all the time and have joy all the time. God, can you make me happy and joyful all the time? Or you go, God, I'm so stressed out about life. Would you help me to not be so stressed out about life? Or we come to God and we say, God, relationships are just killing me. This relationship's a disaster. This person's mad at me. I can't figure out that relationship. God, would you fix that person? Or sometimes we're humbler and we say, God, would you fix me so we can fix this relationship? Would you help me? We say, God, I, I just, I don't know what my purpose is in life. I'm going through life just meandering. What's life about? Can you help me to figure that out? And so we come to God with all these, this is my need. This is what I think my need is. And that's the same thing that the friends did with the paralyzed guy. Would you make him well? But maybe, what if our biggest need is not the need that we think it is? What if our biggest need is that we need forgiveness of sins? What if our biggest need is that we need to stop running from God? What if our biggest need 
is that we need to stop relying on our own strength and rely on God's strength. It's not the perceived need that we have, but the need is deeper. Because that's the situation with the paralytic. Everybody looked at him and said, this is his problem, he's paralyzed. And Jesus said, no, he's got a bigger problem. He needs forgiveness of sins. He needs a relationship with me. Then this is what happens in verse 6. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? You know, and it's really interesting that they don't say, say these things out loud. They don't question out loud. It's, they're just in their hearts thinking these things, maybe whispering to one another. And Jesus knows what's in their hearts. A little bit scary that Jesus knows what's in our hearts, not necessarily what we, what we say out loud. And so he responds this way. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? And I love that question because it's such a, a great question. Is it easier to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, or is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Well, it's kind of easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one will know whether your sins are actually forgiven. No one will kind of verify that or not. But it's easier to say, get up and take your mat, because in order to forgive somebody's sins, you actually have to be God. And so he poses this question, he gets something, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk? And this is how Jesus responds. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Talk about an understatement. We've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. This is incredible what they saw. In one day, they saw a man be forgiven of his sins and also rise and walk who had been paralyzed. And as I think back to the needs that we have in our lives, as we go, this is what I need, this is what I need, God, I love the fact that Jesus addresses both of those. He said, I I'm paralyzed, but Jesus said, no, the greater need is forgiveness of sins. He heals the paralysis, and he heals the forgiveness of sins. You know, and we do that same thing. We look, and we say, this is my problem. That's my problem. And God says, no, 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 you've got a deeper problem. But he solves both. Because when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we begin a relationship and have a relationship with him, we have eternal life, which solves the big problem of sin and separation from God. But we also have abundant life that he shows us the way to live life. And that is such a blessing when we enter into this relationship with God. But we started, we said, how do we reach our friends? How do we be good neighbors? Because part of being a good neighbor is not just loving them in terms of actions, but good neighboring is also speaking the truth about who God is and how do we get to that point. And so I want us to ask kind of three questions, one about the man, one about the roof, and one about the answer. 
and ask three questions as we move through this. So here's the first one. The man is, who do I have a heart for? Who do I have a heart for? When you walked in this morning, you got a, a bookmark that looks something like this. On one side, it says, who is my neighbor? And on the other side, it says, go pray, go love, go invite. If you could just take that out right now, that would be awesome. And I want to explain to you um, what this is. And go pray, go love, go invite essentially comes out of this um, story that we just read, that the, the, um, the friends were going to Jesus and, you know, not necessarily praying, but essentially asking Jesus uh, in that sort of way for healing. They loved their friend, and then they, this may be a little bit wordsmithing, but they invited their friend. He didn't really have a whole lot of choice in the matter, but they invited him to Jesus. He had to say yes because he had no other issue, no other question, or uh, <laughs> no other choice. But here's what I want you to do uh, with this bookmark, is uh, on the side that says go, there's 10 lines there. And I want you to ask the question, who do I have a heart for? Who do you have a heart for? And to write the names of people that you have a heart for. You know, and, and this could be people in your neighborhood, and, and we don't need to limit it at this point to your literal neighborhood. Could be people that you work with. <clears throat> could be people in your family that don't know Christ. You know, as I wrote my list, I've got a number of relationships at University of Charleston, and so I'm praying for those. I've got um, some people in my extended family that don't know Christ, and then there's some people in my neighborhood as well. And so what you're doing as you write the names on this list is you're committing basically to three things. The first is that you're going to pray for them. You're going to go and you're going to pray for them. Pray for them every day. Pray for them every week. Whatever it is that works for you, but you're going to pray for them regularly. The second is that you're going to love them. You're going to look for practical opportunities just to express love towards them in all the different ways that we've talked about over the course of this series. And then the third thing you're going to do is you're going to seek to invite them. Invite them to hear about Jesus. Maybe you take them out for coffee. Maybe you invite them to River Ridge. Maybe you invite them over for uh, dinner at your house. But you're going to seek to invite them into a relationship with Christ in whatever that looks like for you. So, how do you invite them? Well, that kind of comes to where some barriers are, okay? And here's the second question. We talk about the roof. What barriers need to be broken through? What barriers need to be broken through? So the friends, they wanted to see Jesus, and they had the barrier of the people in the house and the walls, and so they went on the roof, and they had the barrier of the roof, and then they pulled the roof back and dug a hole, and they removed the barriers. And there are barriers for us as well. And I think the barriers fall into one of two sort of very broad categories. One has to do with the people we're reaching, and then the other has to do with us. Because as you seek to talk about and have spiritual conversations with people, they will have barriers to the gospel. You know, they may say, you know, Christianity is just boring. Church is irrelevant. Irrelevant. Jesus wasn't really God. The church is full of hypocrites. Well, what about this? And there's all sorts of objections that people have about Christianity. And so part of your role is to help to remove those barriers through conversations, through whatever that looks like for you. And we recognize that people have some of these barriers. And so beginning next week, we're starting a new sermon series titled The Elephant in the Room. And we're going to address some of these more difficult questions about life. And if you're here on Easter, you may remember that we gave out cards that looked like this, uh, that says the elephant in the room. 
And we ask people just to write down, what are some of the questions and objections that you have, the difficult questions about Christianity? And then they drop them off um, after that Easter service. If you weren't here, or maybe you were here and you've thought of some questions, uh, at the silver tables as you leave, uh, we've got a bunch of these cards. You can just write a question, and we will fold that in to this series that we're in the process of planning. So one barrier is other folks and kind of their intellectual barriers and so forth. But the other barrier is us, is that sometimes we just have a fear of talking to people and bridging the conversations to spiritual stuff. Maybe we're fearing because it's going to get awkward. Maybe we fear because we don't know the answer. But we have these fears, and so part of it is just addressing us. But here's what I've seen, is that if we go back to this list, if we pray for people, if we're loving people well, if we do those then the invitations come pretty naturally as we just get to know people and they ask us questions about us and our story and our lives, that these questions flow. If we're praying regularly and if we're loving well, then we'll have these conversations. I love the verse in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. It's this idea of, I want to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that says, always be ready to share my story when it comes up. So we've talked about the roof, the answer, and then here's the question. The answer, uh, the question is, where will I point people? Where will I point people? That may be obvious, you're probably going, I'm going to point people to Jesus, right? That is the right answer, right? Where are we going to point people? But I share it, and I think it's important to talk about because I think sometimes we feel a pressure, like I have to have all the answers. We don't. All we need to do is to point people to Jesus. We're not pointing people. River Ridge Church is not the answer. Your great answers are not the answer. My sermons are not the answer. Jesus is the answer that we want to point people towards. As we think about this series, it's been a three-week series and we're wrapping it up, but this is not a series that just sort of stays put in August. This is a series that we want to continue to come back to, continue to love and neighbor and care for people well with the desire to see people, to see this 130,000 people in our community come to know Christ. And so in order to do that, we create a, a... an art piece, which I think is going to help us. I'm going to unveil this. You may have noticed this up here, uh, but let me unveil this and we'll show you what it is. So it's the, there we go. Pretty cool. So that is the state of West Virginia. And in the middle, it has the River Ridge logo. And it's connected by strings to the entire state. And the reason that we went with this kind of for the valley and the church uh, logo in the middle and the state, is that we want to reach West Virginia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the strings are there because that happens one connection at a time, one relationship at a time, one conversation at a time, one invitation at a time. And so what we want to do is we want to reach our state with the gospel of Jesus Christ, beginning right where we are. And so on this 
uh, on the artwork that you've got there, you see these pieces of string, and we intentionally put it white because what we want to do is we want to fill this in with some color. And so here's the challenge to you. As you love people well, as you share the gospel, as you invite people to church, we want to collect those stories. And so we actually set up kind of a website hashtag. It's riverridge.org forward slash string story. And so if you have a conversation with somebody, if you just do something practical and loving people, let us know that. And as we have those stories, we'll share those stories, and then we'll display this in the lobby, and we will continue to add color to this. Because we want this to be all of us all leaning in to reaching our state and reaching our community with the gospel. And I think about this. I think about the fact that, you know, on this card, there's 10 lines, and I've kind of double-filled and triple-filled some of mine. But if everybody who calls River Church home were to fill this out, we would be praying for something like 12 or 15,000 people in our community. I want to go back to one word as we close that I skipped over in Mark chapter 2. It comes from verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's the word there. See, every other time that Jesus heals somebody, it says when he saw his faith, when he saw her faith, where he'd say, your faith has made you well. But this one is different. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. See, what I want to challenge you and encourage you to do is that you have faith for the people in your life who don't have faith yet. Because your faith is what's going to make a difference in their lives. That you pray for people until they start praying themselves. That you love people until they start loving God themselves. That you invite people to hear about Christ until they have responded to that invitation. That we have this opportunity ahead of us to go pray, to go love, and to go invite thousands of people in our community so that they can hear the good news about Christ. We've been talking about an invitation to Christ. I want to close this morning, actually, by giving that opportunity. If you're here this morning and you've been thinking about this and we've been talking about a relationship with Christ, you realize, I don't have a relationship with Christ. I go to church sometimes or maybe occasionally, maybe not too often, but I don't have a relationship with Christ. I want to give you that opportunity this morning to begin a relationship with with Christ, to say, I'm going to stop trying to earn heaven on my own. I'm going to stop trying to live life on my own. I'm going to receive Christ as my Savior this morning. And so I'll say a prayer, and if you want to just say that silently after I pray it, um, we'll do that. Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned and separated myself from you by my sin. But I believe that Jesus Christ is from God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose from the dead. And I now give all that I know of myself to all that I know of God so that I might have eternal life on this earth, eternal life in heaven and abundant life on this earth. And Lord, for all of us now, I ask that you would help us to live this, Lord. This wouldn't just be a sermon 
or a bookmark or a list, but God, that this would be a lifestyle for us, that we would be constantly looking for opportunities to love people well, to neighbor well, that we might have the opportunity to introduce them to you. God, would you help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen.